Hi, welcome to Conversations with Kika. On today's episode, I have a special guest. Her name is Adelola. Adelola is an expert in helping children with special needs. So part of the, the podcast, um, we kind of like have a section for professionals where um, they come and, and talk to us about you know, some challenges affecting children, be it in education, be it in special needs or developmental issues and all that. So today we have Adela to help us with that. So welcome Adela to the podcast. Thank you, um, Bruno. I hope I have a need to call you here. <laughs> it's fine, like Br- Bruno is great. So I, I figured that when I started the conversation, so the name is Conversations with Keka. So the Keka is a short form of my surname and all that. But because most of the people I have had in the <laughs> podcast are my friends, so they just end up calling me Bruno. I'm like, okay, whatever sticks. All right. So for for our, for our audience out there, I'd like you to just take a take a couple of minutes and talk about yourself, your your professional experience, and the things you've done so far. Then we'll pick up the conversation from there. Cool. Oh, uh, that's fine. All right. And um, do let me know if at some point if you can't hear me well. Um, let's just make sure that sure. Least everybody can hear me. Um, oh. so my name is Adelola. George, I am uh, okay. I, I'm so my profile says I'm Adilola Edema George. Um, but basically, I'm a special needs educator or more like a special needs education consultant because my work spans beyond just teaching the children. Um, I've worked in this field for um, roughly 11 years now. Wow, yes. In fact, I think about 12 years, so I got in 2009, um, but then 2009 was short, and then I went full-time from 2010 till now. I worked, I worked primarily with children with autism um, for most of my career, um, and, but then between 2007, but then I've also worked with other conditions, children um, with other developmental disorders, and then in more recent years, I worked with children with other specific learning difficulties uh, in school systems, supporting them in mainstream classrooms. Um, so I've worked, and then that has also kind of pivoted into advocacy. Working in this field means that my, I'm open, I see the effect of late diagnosis, the effect of lack of awareness, mm-hmm. and of course, the effect of stigmatization. Oh. that happens because we don't know much about special needs. Um, these are things that families suffer, and of course the persons with disabilities or disorders definitely suffer some form of stigmatization or rejection because of their um, condition. So that made me go into creating awareness and advocating. That I started of just doing on social media, just blogging, yeah. tweeting, writing on my Facebook, on autism, but that has kind of grown into having events of speaking and first speaking, I was speaking, speaking at events. Um, and yeah, and I've been opportunity to speak at top conferences, you know. Yeah. Interest, I, I, I would love to say across the world, but <laughs> so far, just West Africa, um, okay. where I'm, I'm going to just talk in some ways about autism in Nigeria, autism, special needs in general. And then yeah. I went to a conference called the Special Needs Conference. Um, and 
we look at three angles. So the religious side of it, especially in context of churches, where we talk to um, churches, church teachers, pastors, church workers, or engaging individuals, especially in, in that space. We talk to we talk to educators through the special needs conference for educators, and then um, we and then there's one on vocational skill development where we look really about um, trans what they call transition people adolescents and adults with autism uh, with special needs in term in in terms of learning vocational skills what vocational skills they should be learning and how really we can I mean very nice we actually got very practical so that the, the participants actually learn uh, some some skills like animation and um, and balloon balloon decoration or something like that yes so that and so but recently recently I I started my own I, I started it but then I wasn't focused because I was working on the side but now full-time I now work first of all I, I work with families so I'm working with families and their children with autism providing therapy and some therapy for the child the, what they call behavior therapy for the child and um, providing some form of support for the families for the parents oh I should mention that I'm trained also as a behavior technician on um, through the, in the applied behavior analysis uh, the kind of applied behavior technician in applied behavior analysis so basically it means that I I can teach children with autism. Um, what else should I be saying? And then of course, what that does, so the name of the company is called Jordan, Jordan Learning Council. And another thing we do is actually to consult for schools, you know, train their teachers, consult for organizations, which I've been doing for about four years now, where we actually help people that planning events and would have children with children or teenagers or anybody with autism in mm -hmm. that space, and then kind of help them to plan to accommodate the needs of the person, whoever, whichever person is coming that has autism. So yeah, so they don't let any consult, basically an autism or specialist consult, and we want to help. Our vision really is to help everybody, okay. every organization, include effectively persons with special needs in that space, whether it's in church or in the workplace or at an event, at a party, whatever it is, they're just there to help you plan for people with autism. Oh, like I, I think that kind of covers what I do. Yeah, that, that's like an impressive resume of, um, of, a, like, of different varieties of effort directed at helping children with special needs and all that. And the, the part of your experience that kind of like intersects with the podcast and the reason why I really wanted to have you on, on the podcast is the part that has to deal with families. Because ultimately the first point of contact with children with special needs or learning disabilities is at the family settings. So there's a lot of, in my experience, yeah. which is limited, there's a lot of unpreparedness because there's the God forbid mindset. So I don't think any parent sets out to have a child with special needs. So sometimes we take it for granted like that things yeah. like that happen. So when once it happens, most parents are caught aback. So, and I know in your line of work, you've dealt with a lot of families, you've seen a lot of things. So I like to pull from some of those experiences on the podcast and share it out there. So 
that people have like a conversational context to refer to in the future or at any point in time if they need it. So the, the first question I want to ask is, you said two things and I'd like you to kind of like, if there's a, if there's a difference between them to kind of like clarify, what is the difference between a child with special needs and a child with learning disabilities? Um, okay, no, so learning disability in itself is special needs, but I did learning difficulty. Um, so while okay. a child with special needs may have learning difficulties, okay. some children with special needs may not have learning difficulties. Let me give an example. Okay. We meet a child with cerebral palsy who is extremely intelligent, who has no challenge learning at the same pace with his peers, in, no. and, and might not also have a challenge in being able to communicate, might not. Might not have a challenge in being able to communicate what they have learned as well. However, they might have maybe a challenge, of course, communicating whether we're writing, so they might be able to say what, they, what they've learned, maybe either repeat or evaluate, or analyze whatever level of intelligence you want to test, but I'm difficulties writing. So that child doesn't have a learning difficulty, but mm -hmm. he does have a special need because maybe he has difficulty removing his limbs. Um, some children with autism do not can will not particularly be classified as having specific learning difficulties. Okay. Sometimes it cannot be classified as having special needs, but they do not have a disability. As most we call it an invisible disability because it, it, but then they do often they do have what they call a specific learning difficulty because um, dyslexia, dyscalculia, in some way, or even the other called the other kind like dyspraxia, dyspraxia. Dyspraxia would affect writing. Dyspraxia would affect um, um, what's this word? Coordination, organizational organization. Yeah. Now that will affect learning, but that child might not be regarded as one having a disability or having a special needs. But interestingly, you know, interestingly, uh, in school okay. system, specific learning also fall under special needs, <clears throat> excuse me, because they also fall under special educational needs. It's just that oh. when we look at special needs in terms of disability, they will not fall into that. But when we look at it in terms of learn of school experience, it is definitely a special need. But a child can have special needs and not have a learning difficulty as it were. Oh, I see. Even people, so, so, some children with, that are visually impaired, they have no difficulty with learning. I mean, of course, they have special needs because the child is because they are accommodated in that in their classes and all that. But some of them are processing even if not faster. I mean, it's not affecting their brain. It's not affecting how they're processing. It's not affecting what they call the executive functioning, how they're able to plan and organize their, themselves in class. But then it affects their life because they do have that disability. So I, I, I think that clears it up. And, and thank you very much. Because sometimes I, I get it confused. Um, because for one... But, 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 but lens ability is something else on its own. It's a condition on its own. So it's yeah. not... This lecture, this it's a condition on its own, and it affects um, that would affect intelligence, it will affect interest, it will affect the child beyond just learning, you know. So, as I sometimes, in fact, I mean, there are, I, I, I will go for a training and they will say it's the same thing as intellectual disability, and I'll go for another training, they'll say it's not the same as intellectual disability, but the idea is that whichever way it's affecting the child's intellect. Sure. 
So for for the case, okay, for the case um of special need, I think pretty early on in the child, the parents can can pretty much ascertain if the child had need has special needs and all that, especially the ones that are very visible at the early stage. But in terms of learning disabilities, I think sometimes it might be more difficult to catch maybe later on at the child's life when they've actually started going to sort of like a formal structured school or when the parents have started taking active hands-on approach to teach them and they find it that the child is finding it difficult to kind of like catch on to what's said. I don't know if that's a fair assumption to make. Um, not quite, uh, not quite. Okay. Um, basically, yes, there are quite a number of conditions that are under special needs are referred to as disabilities that you will catch on either from birth. In fact, some conditions will not actually show, will show maybe within the, some, anytime within the first three years, so examples, zebra palsy would mean that there's a damage to the brain sometime within the first three years. So the child who have been born, no difficulties, no problem until something happens in the 18th month, in the 24th month, in the 30th month, you know, and then the damage to the brain or the, well, the damage to the brain and then causing cerebral palsy. So as I said, not quite. However, um, there are some, in terms of disability, there are some that are what they call visible. So you can see, if you see the child, you know that there's something about this child. In fact, some from birth, you can tell. Um, cerebral palsy, you can't tell at birth, but then they usually can tell. The child has it quite early, causes and late development, it delays development. So the child is supposed to be, when the neck is supposed to stand, it's not standing. When child is supposed to sit, child is not sitting. So the parents start to ask questions about why is my child not standing? Why is my child not sitting? And that is also that also um, shows in Down syndrome. It shows in learning disability. As I said, learning disability is different from learning difficulty. Learning disability would show would oftentimes show late late development. Um, some children with autism, children autism will also show some form of delayed development, not necessarily in the sitting and standing and neck part, but in maybe in language development, in social skill. You expect that a child is supposed to smile back at you. I think for our fourth month or so, and this child is not smiling back. Interesting that developmental milestones that we take for granted because it just seems like part of life. Yeah. But then if a child is not doing it, the parent now says, ah, but somebody's this person's son is smiling at them back. How come my own son is not smiling back at me? Or how come he's not babbling at this time? Or he's babbling, interesting, he's babbling. But his babbling has not become conversational. Or when he's babbling, I try to babble back to him. Instead of him to laugh, he's looking at me like, what's wrong with you? So all of those things, parents begin to ask questions. But you know, sometimes the parents don't even notice when the child gets to school. And teachers are like, your child is two plus. He's not talking. What's the problem? They're like, hey, he's normal now. He's a boy in our family. And then they start to look for other things and say, beyond that, he keeps to himself. Beyond that, he does this. We think you talk to your doctor, the pediatrician about it. Then they go and see the pediatrician, and then the, the, the process of getting the diagnosis is now fast. So, but yes, I do agree that there are some, those lens difficulties that I mentioned, like this, dyslexia and dyslexia, will, will oftentimes not show at all. Um, some children with dyslexia might not talk on time as well, might have the language development, but it's not, I, I don't think it's significant enough for it to. Cause an opera, 
but then the child gets into school and they notice that the child is not um, um, is is not I mean, is struggling with identifying sounds or letter sounds and everything, and maybe struggling with reading. So they now start to ask questions and say, "What are the difficulties we see?" Then let them. They sometimes have to get an assessment. Interesting about learning difficulties sometimes is that in Nigeria is that sometimes these children do not even have an assessment done, but then they can just check the symptoms and say, "Okay, this is what I see. This is the challenge I see." And this presents like dyslexia. What should we do about it? It's not just going to get an assessment done. While an assessment is good, it gives it, it kind of puts a name to it. The most important thing is identifying the difficulty the child is experiencing and then meeting that need. Oh, okay. I I I I, I think I, I, I clear now. I understand. So some some of them are, are very visible, some are not. So it's kind of like there's like a broad range of learning um, difficulties, learning disability and special needs that there's no one size fits yeah. all. So it's sort of like situational. So, exactly. so for, for the parents out there, so I know in part of the, the conversation you just said, you said something about developmental milestone and trying to see if your child is doing those things. So say for example, I'm, I'm, I'm a father now, I, I have a child. So what are some of those developmental milestones or what are those things I could look for to be sure that my child is either um, is growing at, as he or she should, if they have difficulty in learning or if, if there's something I need to watch out for. So from your experience, what are some of those things that parents could look out for, especially young inexperienced parents? Okay, so let me give an, so like I said at the beginning, an umbrella term for, and it would present, um, so that the different different disorders, the different disabilities that will fall under that thing, right? So yeah. if a child with um, let me use let me start with um, autism, which is the most of my experience, right? Okay. Um, usually, I, I think I mentioned that there's what we call social smile, where a child is expected to smile back at about from about four months. Children, so that the early signs, yeah, the early red flags, really, but. While parents might show concern, not many parents show concern. When, when doctors start to ask back, they depend on that, oh, this child did, did this. Oh, so oftentimes in the first um, six months, they say, oh, this child's smiling back. No child is not smiling back. Um, is the child making eye contact? So the child is avoiding eye contact, looking away more often than not. That, that's a red flag because it means that somehow she, I mean, if he's looking away, in that deliberate um, way, like, okay, why is he looking away from me? So that is the way he shouldn't be looking away. Um, then let's, so, so there's what we call language delay. So language delay would present oftentimes, can present with um, not babbling at the right time, but some children would actually babble, but when you expect from one year, between one year, not, the language is not growing, uh, speech is not developing, and there's sometimes loss of speech. So this child is talking, saying, daddy, mommy, and all of a sudden does not say that again. Um, I hope you can still hear me. Yeah, yeah, um, sure. Cool. So they would have, you have things like the child being, uh, so by, by the second year, you can actually tell that the child would want to be isolated. So every time everybody's together, the child would be alone. Just take okay. the child to a crush, 
all the children are playing with each other, but you know, this child would rather stay alone and not play with any other child. So that isolation, they, some of them are hyperactive, but some of them are not hyperactive. So whether they're hyperactive or not, you can tell that this child is playing alone. Um, what else? So you'll see certain odd behavior. So you want to put on the, some of them, you, you, if, if you've been wearing the right, wearing the right shoe first. Okay. And you want to cheat, they kind of like throw a tantrum about it. So why are you throwing a tantrum? And then sometimes quite early, some, some of them will cover their ears. So there, there, are, there are many things that can, but usually in Nigeria, a lot of the parents that I've met, if not all the parents I've met, they tell you that the reason they decided to ask questions was because their child was either not talking at the right time, or the child was talking but they lost speech. Cerebral palsy, on the other hand, Down syndrome too, um, you, these are developmental disabilities, right? So you find that the child, the neck might not stand at the right time. At three months, you expect that a child's neck should be stable. Okay. Um, but then that's not happening. Later, the child is not, uh, by four months, you expect to sit down, the child is unable to sit. Um, and then you, that's when you start to, for downstream is a bit different. The cerebral palsy, then you begin to notice that the limbs are actually not. So you expect to find the movement of the arms also, the child could have control, some control. I, I, don't, I can't remember what month, but I think for about second or third, by the third month or so, the child should have control of their, their arms, how they move their arms, finally looking at their arms, looking at their hands like they're curious, trying to hold things, trying to grab things, but this child is having difficulties doing that. Um, usually by the time the parents see that, and by six months, this child is not speaking, they start to ask questions, they see their doctor. And uh, I wish I could say that they always get a diagnosis. Sadly, in Nigeria, they don't always get a diagnosis, but oftentimes, you can tell. And it doesn't always have to be cerebral palsy, because I've seen a child with microcephaly present similar symptoms where the where development is extremely slow or extremely delayed. Microcephaly means that the, the brain the skull is small, so the brains are unable to grow. It's um, either sometimes genetic or maybe because the mother took something, took something while she was pregnant. I mean, not necessarily something like that fault, but then, so, but that, interestingly, microcephaly happens already from the womb. So um, sometimes it's detected early, even before the child is born or at the time of birth, because the head is small. So, but, so that one they usually know already, but so, but the child may also have a difficulty with um, sitting the next time because the development is extremely slow. Wow, wow. Like listening to you talk, I'm just listening to you draw up a couple of experiences, um, situational, if it's um, cerebral palsy, if it's um, autism, if it's dyslexia, and you're trying to like tie to some of the developmental milestones that the parents can observe. And I must tell you for one, it feels like a lot. And if I'm going to summarize everything you've just said, and I'm talking to myself, okay, you have to be vigilant. Like you actually have to act, especially at the early onset, at the early stage of the child, like you have to be vigilant, you have to watch the child, you have to literally track them. Then if there's anything you're unsure of, ask questions and seek professional advice. 
Exactly, exactly. I do know that quite a number of Nigerian mothers, um, while I might not be able to drop any name of any app based on the fact that two things, one, I don't even know. Secondly, I mean, nobody's paying me to do that. <laughs> but I know that many Nigerian mothers do follow. They have apps that show them what milestone, what your child, what your child should be doing at this time. I remember oh. my nephew at the point, my nephew was trying to pick things. And I was like, what was wrong? I said, oh, that's, that's part of the things we're supposed to be doing right now, you know, based on the app, on, on what the app says. So I know that mothers, some mothers do pay attention, but what happens is that even though, the, because this milestone thing, right, is an yeah. average. Sure. So if they'll tell you that the child can be plus or minus. So when the child is delayed, it's kind of like, say, okay, let's wait a bit, let's wait a bit. And then sometimes you now begin to live in denial. Um, so that, yes, they still the delay, but then they now feel like, oh no, it's not my child. Like you said, God forbid. I don't blame anybody. Nobody wants to. Yeah. <laughs> God forbid. Recently, this song has been playing in my head a lot by two things. I say, nobody won't cry, but they won't go every, you know, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants to be the one that has to deal with it. Um, no matter how much they sweet tongue nobody, nobody wants to be the one to deal with it. So people will live in denial and say, oh no, my child is not, no, that's not it. It's just a delay. And then sadly, family members say, don't worry. Unicorn did that in their own time too. He did not talk on, ah, he wasn't sitting, but now you can see him. He's sitting like a handsome boy. Interesting things that happen. So it's not just to be observant because I'm guilty of actually being over observant of all the children that are around me. But I don't, I think that that can be also cause control of anxiety. So, so the observation really is just taking notes. If you have those apps, I mean, all that other normal apps that tell you what your child should be achieving at this time, that's perfect. Um, so, you are not, so you're not having to touch to light your child's growth mm-hmm. um, and getting anxious. But those apps, those milestones, they just kind of take it for you already. So you go, my child is what to doing this, I'm not doing it. And then yes, ask questions as soon as possible. Interestingly, there might be no cause for alarm because we cannot yeah. deny that in Nigeria there are children that have language delay and they do not have autism. Yeah, yeah. But, I, I, yeah, please but our children with quite a number of children with autism have been diagnosed late because um, Nigerian doctors. I've felt, oh, I've seen, I've seen like a ton of children that didn't have autism and their language delay. Don't worry, come back in six months. Meanwhile, we could start therapy as soon as possible. If, you know, so I usually tell people, if you have concerns, start, start helping your child. Even if it's to, oh, your child is not paying attention, you're not sitting calm. What should you be doing to help him to sit calm? You know, those is on, uh, what should I do? The child is not sitting, what should we do now? While we wait for, if the says wait for two more months, uh, what should we do while we wait for two more months? So that we don't waste this child's time at the end of the day. I like that. I, I like that perspective. So yeah, I, I like that. So so basically you have you notice that your child is not acting the way um they should, and you've gotten professional opinion and they said, okay, you to take say X X number of days or X number of months. So as a proactive mm-hmm. parent and all that, you could also still take steps while waiting for the result. So best case scenario, exactly. thing is part of the preventer stage. Then the things you've done doesn't hurt the child, still helps the child along the way. If it's the worst case scenario, you are better off prepared. 
Exactly. Yeah. exactly. I, like, I like that. So the, the thing I want us to talk about a little bit is like the whole God forbid mindset. Like the, um, for parents with the God forbid mindset, I don't blame them because I have I seen I have seen firsthand my my aunt, um, one of our child, I think he has autism and stuff. And okay. I think he has he has difficulty with coordination and all that. Should should so the woman literally had to do everything for him. So as far as feeding him, baiting him, and that, that sounds more like cerebral palsy. Oh, he's having difficulty with coordination. Oh, okay, cerebral palsy. All right, I've, okay. So now I'm going to recalibrate my diagnosis. Like we need, I need. We need <laughs> I I think everybody that wants. Well, you, well, well, you, you don't you, you don't have a right to diagnose really. Uh, I don't have a right to diagnose as well, even in my in my profession. So usually what we say, we just talk about what we see, what are the difficulties we see. But see, social media generation, really, everybody does diagnosis. I've seen a video of a child online doing something. They say, ah, it's autism. Somebody's doing something, it's terrible. They just, they just put it out there. So I, I, I'm not going to say they put it out there. If, if you're labeling the child's going to help us with our awareness, anyway, that's fine. But usually the most important thing is to note what the challenges that the child is experiencing. Okay, so I'm going to rephrase by saying my observation, sort of, not diagnosis. So, so basically, she had to do. She she does everything for him, and and he's like in his forties, and he's still heavily oh reliant on the parents. So when 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 parents say God forbid, like I on I sort of like understand where that God forbid is coming from. But then again, at the yeah. end, of the day, like God forbid, doesn't solve anything. Like God forbid, is not a proactive step to take. It's actually very mm-hmm. reactionary. So, so I want us to talk about a little bit of, of the mindset that parents should have when approaching those situation. Like I know some form of it has to do with stigma. They don't want to be labeled in their immediate community environment as this or that. But from your experience dealing with parents, what are some of the mindsets you think? like prospective parents or parents who have children with disabilities or learning difficulties, like what kind of mindset would you encourage them to have while dealing with it? Okay. I read quite early in my career, I read a book, um, called, I can't remember the full title, but I mean, at the beginning of the book was Facing Autism. Mm. And the woman said that um, when our child was diagnosed, um, she did, Said that it was as if a child died. You know, the child, she, 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 I mean, she carried in a warm and gave birth to, and playing with for the last two years and hoping that by some miracle was going to talk and the this and the that, become president of America, become, you know, everybody wants their child to be lawyer, doctor, engineer kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that child died. And she had to mourn her child. Well, mourn her child. There's another. There's another um, poem I read also called "Welcome to Holland." I think every parent in South Sudan has read that poem, whether they agree with it or not. Because she's, the poem kind of says the woman that wrote the poem has a son with um, Down syndrome, okay. and um, he he she used to work with um, what is Sesame Street like Sesame Street crew. So our yeah. son used to interestingly be, because our son used to be on Sesame Street, 
like maybe like in the eighties or something, an old story. And this woman says that traveling, having a travel special needs means is like um, having wanting to, you know, planning a trip to Italy, the pack for Italy, everything is set, and then you get on the plane, you fly all the way, and then you land, and the flight attendant says, "Welcome to Holland." And like, how did we get to Holland? We weren't, we didn't board the Holland flight, but that's what you bought it. So, so, so it's a change. It's an entirely different thing from, oftentimes it does brings a shift in the dreams and everything. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, parents might go through grief and so many emotions, but my advice to any parent, so I'm going to have to, <clears throat> excuse me. My advice to any parent is this, is to pick yourself, just like in any situation that we find ourselves that don't look as um, palatable, maybe, or that don't look like exactly what we're expecting, mm -hmm. is that you have two options. You can stay down or you can pick it up. A parent asked me recently and said, what, I mean, we were at an event. So she, she was, you know, she was, she was just she was like, what happened? If my child get better, I said, what are you going to do with the diagnosis? It's not a function of, I'm not, I mean, I'm meeting you now. I don't know what's going to happen to your child, but the question, what are you going to do with the diagnosis? Because that's what matters. The parent can say, okay, now that I know what is wrong with my child, now that it's labeled, or now that I can see the difficulty, what should I do? And so what do you do? You educate yourself. First of all, educate yourself about First of all, the, the condition, what does the condition mean at all? So yes, the child has autism, what does it mean? The child has dyslexia, what does it mean? Interestingly, you can also educate yourself to people that have experienced it before. You know, I think that the beauty of social media times is that there's, I mean, um, internet time is that there's information out there about people that have autism, cerebral palsy, people that are visually impaired, are missing it, that are doing exceptionally well. So what that does for you is to create an image that tells you that my child can succeed despite this diagnosis, mm -hmm. you know? And then you know that those people did not succeed because they were praying and waiting. I'm not against prayer. I think we should pray. In fact, pray because those people can lead you. I mean, I'm talking as a Christian, those people can lead you in the direction to go and whatever faith you practice, let's pray. But one thing is sure, while you pray, get, get the therapy that the child needs. For people with developmental disabilities, they will need some form of therapy. Um, autism, Down syndrome will require behavior therapy, uh, speech therapy. For cerebral palsy, would require more, more than just speech therapy. They, they will often require physiotherapy. All of them would require occupational therapy. So whatever therapy the child should be getting, try, begin to find, ask questions, where do you get it in Nigeria? If I, I mean, Lagos was like the luckiest because even the hospitals and the like the major hospitals, the different hospitals somehow have they have these um, professionals in their centers, in their as the children at the same centers, so that you can at least start with that. The only thing I, I know is that I heard that because of the crowd they have to deal with, you might not get as much as you want, yeah. you as much sessions as you want for your child. So you might want to find a professional, I mean an independent professional or a private professional, which means like a, a, a center owned by a private person and not maybe the hospital. 
office inside. And just start to get help for that child. And then importantly, believe for most of your child. Believe that your child can be a success. Success is not defined by being a doctor or engineer or lawyer. But success is being able to be the, be the best at what you can do. Being the best. The child, your child exploring, being able to explore your child's gifts uh, and finding them and building on them. Um, I watched this video of a guy, isn't it Jonathan something, who is completely nonverbal and immobile, but they realized that he was extremely intelligent. And, you know, building on that intelligence, they created whatever, some form of support for him. And um, that's about four years. And then he was able to write a book. He was able to write, he went to school. I mean, but he's, still, he's not old. He's probably still a teenager now. And he's, um, he's going to school. I think the UK. But my point is, um, my point is simply being able to find, know that the child, no matter the difficulty you are faced with, there's a gift in that child. There's some strength hidden, and you can find it, and you can build on it. You know, and then your child can be a success, be the best at it. You know, I I, would, I, I sometimes tell parents that see, anybody can play instruments. People might not pay attention to them. But if a child with autism is playing keyboard, everybody will pause and listen. So they're like, wow, wow. And you can make money from it. <laughs> Even if all they are wow is doing is to drop money and they are saying the wow. At least it kind of brings some form of relief, not only to you, but to your child. Because you know that even when you finally go, your child has something that they can use to take care of themselves. So yeah. So so I don't blame anybody for having a good for good mindset. I don't blame anybody for living in denial or being maybe like sad or sorrowful for a while. But the most important thing is to pick up yourself and say, how do I help my child to succeed? How do I help my child to overcome the difficulties of this diagnosis? And then so make inquiries, start therapy. If your child has to go, and yeah, I must mention, let me mention this here, that many children with um, these developmental disabilities can still go to school. That many children with autism, with down, with cerebral palsy, sorry, many children with cerebral palsy have average to high intelligence and will do well academically, but they might need some support yeah. in terms of writing or, you know, mobility, being able to move around in the school system and all that, but then they are learning. And the children with autism sounds to them that would also succeed in that same sphere. So we cannot afford to, to reject them. We cannot afford to keep them at home and say, oh, they can't go to school. No, they can't go to school. They are not uneducable. So, but we need to find, say the child is not learning the way we teach, and let us teach the way the child will learn. You know, like you, you said a lot of fascinating and interesting thing. And there's there's a central team, not like there's not like a central team, there's a string that I've been observing while I've been having this podcast and all that. And you said something now that also ties into that um string. So a couple of parents I've, I've talked to on the podcast, and they said, like, once they got into the parental situation, they realized that most of the work about being a parent is learning from the child on how to train the child so mm -hmm. so so basically that notion of i want my child to be this i want my child to be that like that image you have as a parent you have to be able to discard it 
then you have to be yes. able to look yes. at your child and say, okay, my child, what are you good at? How do I facilitate you to do this? And you made something similar. And that is more so for parents with children with learning disabilities and special needs. So that image you have of your child, you want your child running up and down, you want your child flying, you want your child being a doctor or whatever it is you want your child to be, like you have to sort of like let that go. Then you have to look at your child, okay, this is where we are. How do I help you optimize yourself and become successful? And you said something very key, like success is being good at what you do. It is not measured by being a doctor or nurse or footballer. There is no, there is no concrete title that says when I attain this title, this is success. But if I'm able to do exactly. what I do and I contribute meaningfully to the society, that kind of like makes me successful. So if parents look at that, exactly. I want my child to be successful. My child has these difficulties, has these difficulties. So how do I push them forward? So I need to seek professional help. I need to put them through this program. I know they need social inclusion. I need to do this. I need to do that then you mm -hmm. help your, you help your child sort of like live a life that is manageable even when you're not there as a parent all right they will be able to either so they'll be able to survive by themselves or they have a network of people that can provide that, that help for them and you're exactly. your spot on I, I really appreciate that like before I, I know you're busy so i know i have to let you go soon but before I let you go, I'd like to explore two areas of, of, um, of a child's development. So first of all, let, let's talk about the society. So in terms of handling um, children with special needs, like what are the trends like in the past? What is the current trend in terms of stigma, in terms of um, lack of inclusion? And I know offline you and I had a conversation and and we, one of the things you mentioned that stuck to me up to date is that most people don't plan for inclusion, especially for children yeah. with special needs. So can you talk more about the societal aspect? How, even if I, I don't have a child that has special needs, how can I contribute to making the environment better such that children with special needs could thrive? Oh, all right, good question. Um, so, you know, it's interesting how when I started off in, my, in 2009, the yeah. awareness was so low. I, I volunteered, right? And I would say, oh, I was volunteering at an autism center. And they'll be like, what's that? What's that? They had never heard about it. So which was one of the things that spurred me to actually start creating awareness, yeah. right? But over the years, I've, I mean, I say autism. I don't know. They know about autism. Oh, autism, autism. <laughs> and the same thing with cerebral palsy or any other condition. Of course, we have known about visual impairment, hearing impairment all our lives. Sadly, that knowing is not enough. So I think that where we have gotten to in current Nigeria, let me look at Nigeria because this is where I am and I operate from, okay. is that we have come to know that these disabilities exist. In fact, we know about specific difficulties, we know about dyslexia. So a child is, um, somebody writes on social media about their child not learning, we are quick to say, you know, you should check that child for dyslexia. However, <laughs> if we, when you, you meet it, you get into a classroom, the child is having showing difficulties with learning or reading, and the teacher just goes, why are you an old kid? But that mm -hmm. same teacher would, will most likely post on social media and say, you should check this child for dyslexia. <laughs> 
So I think that we have gotten to the point where we know these things, but we don't know what to do about it. And so what and that and, and like I said, that kind of made this, my conferences to go beyond just saying what is this, probably to specialist conference. At the conferences, we actually teach people how to engage persons with special needs in those different spaces. So here's the thing. So where are we? So are we done well enough by knowing that the is here? Or now then we need to get to the next stage where we like I said to you, begin to plan for inclusion. In in Lagos State, for example, there's the people, special people's law. There are laws in Lagos State that says that if you are going to build um a and build a like the tall building sort of okay. um, you should any building that will require staircases you should have ramps mm -hmm. how many buildings have ramps in fact right our some of our bridges some of our pedestrian bridges do not have ramps but the ones that have ramps i found i was speaking of somewhere and then some persons with ability were there and they're saying that the ramps are even not convenient yeah, <laughs> and i'm like too steep or something uh, so my friend said that oh, when she went to the U.S. for a program, she has cerebral palsy, and even though she can walk, um, when she was stressed, she had to be on a wheelchair. And for the first time, she saw what it actually meant, what a real ramp looked seemed like. You know, oh, so this is how a ramp should be. Transport system. There was she could enter the bus with her wheelchair. She's like, oh my god, really? So this exists in the world, you know. I think it's sad because you almost feel like, when are we going to get there? Um, because the law is not enough. I mean, the law is not enough. Being deliberate and learning how to carry it out is also important. So, yeah, um, there are, for example, in Nigerian, um, I think education, I'm trying to remember, policy and education, policy and education, because I did study education at the university, and there was this policy of education, an education book I bought. In okay. uni. And I saw it there that children with special needs should go to school and okay. the government should fund their schooling. And I'm like, really? How many of them actually go to school? So, yes, so so what we've done is one, we have the inclusion law in Nigeria, we have disability law in Nigeria, and all these things, but there is little or no enforcement. And um, people, and then primarily, people don't even know really how to include. Or how not stigmatized. So yes, the parents of our stigmatization, yes, they still suffer stigmatization. They go to church and somebody's giving them the bad eye because their daughter or son is making a funny sound. And you're like, I, I think your child out now, or telling them that children are small, or sadly, telling them that they don't have faith. That's why they have a child with special needs, or that mm -hmm. they are cursed because we are a superstitious community, right? Or society. Um we will still suffer. Parents, I mean, schools still reject children. So some schools will say, bring the child to my school. Oh, bring the child. But you put a 15-year-old in primary one. You already tell me that you don't have a plan for that child. I tell them, when they say, oh, this child to repeat the class again. What are you going to do differently? I'm not saying this child should not repeat the class. But what are you going to do differently? For this mm. child to pass the next class. If you don't have a different plan, if you have no plan for differentiation, there's no plan for, for different, differentiated assessment, differentiated instructions, then, I mean, what are you going to do differently? If there's no plan for, let's say, if you have this educator working with that child in that year, what are you going to do differently? So there are so, so really, how do you plan for inclusion? Because I don't want to get off tangent from what you 
the question you asked me, and I hope I haven't got it up to yet. Not so much. Um, really, um, <laughs> really. So I know that you're asking that how far we come, where were we and where are we now? Yeah. Um, so we've got it, we've come from not knowing to knowing, and we are proceeding. We interestingly even started getting to acceptance, but we 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 accept on social media more than we accept in real life. Um so we want to move the acceptance to actually planning things. So for example, you are building, you are putting in cognizance in the case of ramp. You are putting in cognizance that maybe having a soundproof environment, mm -hmm. if you can afford that, you know, for, for, for some children with autism would have what they call sensory processing disorder. All children autism has STD, but then they will some of them be oversensitive or hypersensitive to sound. And oh. interestingly, some people are neurotypically, they are typically developing, but they still have this sensory processing disorder such that they are hypersensitive to sound as well. So including them in perspective while you are planning your building, um, that shows, that will tell me that, yeah, you are, you are going the right direction. Schools employing special education teachers, schools training their teachers to know about special needs and how to, um, effectively engage the children in their classes, that would be for me. Uh, are we doing that already? We are, but we are not doing it well enough. Okay. Um, we are not doing well. I mean, if I'm in this person, I'm saying that I believe it's strong, but I'm not doing well enough. Because I, I'm at, every now and then they will train, they will train. And the next thing, the staff are asking the same questions every year. Oh, it's, it's my school, like, school has brought one child with autism in my class. I don't know what to do. I'm like, why would they put a child with autism in your class without telling you what to do? They should have arranged that you and other teachers should have been trained. This entire school, including this old school, old school agenda, everybody should be trained. But they didn't train anybody and they just figuring a child with autism, a child with several persons in that classroom. And they're leaving the um, confused. So that's the next step. That's where we need to get to, where we actually begin to. I mean, so that's for church. Uh, the environment really putting, putting, understanding that these laws that exist are for a reason. You know, and of course, we need to get to a point where we accept people and appreciate their differences. So yes, without the difference, good. I would appreciate that child. I would love the child regardless. Um, we won't shush them away and say, oh, don't bring your child there. We won't say, don't, don't invite them for their, our next birthday party. Uh, that would show me really that we have gone far in, our, in the work that we've done in terms of advocacy and that we are becoming more inclusive society. I hope that, I hope I didn't get too off tangent. Yeah, like you, you sort of like answered the other part I was gonna ask, but I still ask you regardless. <laughs> so it will serve as a repetition for emphasis and all that. But from what you just said, like it's, I loved it. Like I loved every single line of it. So for what I gather is, um, acceptance so acceptance cuts beyond social media so what you said is very true like it's very apt so you see something that on social media you might agree with it because it's sort of like distant when it comes to you in person you'll be confused because you haven't been trained or you haven't been equipped to handle those situations and exactly. and the the part of the social stigma and the religious stigma too very on point and and the whole, oh, if they had faith, it wouldn't happen. Or it's because of something you've done. Like, that is a wrong mindset. Like, we have to realize. Yeah. So, like, we have to realize. I mean, 
every every time I read the book of Job, right? So I'm a Christian, yeah. and every time I read the book of Job, I ask myself that all these people that are saying that people are committing sin, that's why they have to be special. Don't they ever open the book of Job? When they read that book of Job, are they seeing that they are like those Job's friends, judging him and telling mm-hmm. that he has committed sin? They don't. I don't think they see that too, because I I, I don't know how. I mean, I've seen people come at me parents to say that ah. Sorry, I was to speak with Baba. Basically, the transition of what they are saying, you don't pray enough. You need to know God though, because you don't know God. If you knew God, this would not happen to you. Yeah. Like I've seen it. Not I didn't hear. I've, I've, I've witnessed it. Yeah. And somebody told me quite early in my career that asked me why I was going into this profession. I said, I, this is what I want to do. And she said, Ah, my sister, let me advise you against people. It's not. These children, see, demons are following them. Uh-huh. And you don't want them. To, I'm telling you, I said, no, angels are following them. So you see, our superstitious beliefs also influence <laughs> our stigmatization and our responses to this thing. So I told her, I said, no, angels follow them. And to be honest, I've faced, I mean, I've I, I faced situations where I thought, okay, I might, ah, uh-uh, there's no way out. And someone, God will make it. And mm. I know that God saying to me that because you are doing that, if the angels are helping you, <laughs> the angels. I don't disagree. <laughs> I, at this point, I don't disagree. Like you said something that is very apt. I just want to refer it. Like, I just want to reiterate. Like our stigma is foiled by our belief systems. And that yes, is sad. And it's sad. And, and so like and, and kudos to you and others and your field that do the job you do like try to raise the collective consciousness of everybody like once we all know that these things happen it's not as a it's not as a result of either what somebody did or curse or whatever like it's just a natural process it's a random select it's a randomly selected event that could happen to anybody yeah. so once we begin to realize that that it could be me then that acceptance actually even translates to what you said that your friend expressed in the US where they had like better systems. Like once we accept that, it helps us to actually build better systems to support those mm-hmm. with special needs because they're like, they're, they're us, they're humans, they're valuable members of the society. And some of them are actually very gifted and extremely intelligent. And if you can tap that into making your society a better place or developing better tools, better technology or solving difficult problems because of the beautiful way their mind works like why don't we harness that why don't we send them to institutions that helps them grow helps them become better you know as opposed to just ruling them out because it's difficult to actually or because not not like it's difficult like this the current infrastructures we have makes it difficult to handle children with special needs so we take the the easy path out by just excluding them so yeah so how about we go the more productive route by like you said like building inclusive systems and and please go ahead like i'm i'm going to i think i've I've watched some of your conversation and read some of your articles and from time to time i will posting it once i set up the website for conversations with kekar like some of the resources you have about helping children with special needs and some of your videos and your 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 articles i am definitely going to post it on there because like we need to raise the collective consciousness of everybody 
Great. We really do. Thank you so much. Yeah. And the other question I was going to ask that you've already touched is like, how can schools, how can our education system be better be structured to help children with special needs? Because learning is a very, is a very vital aspect of their life. So how can we do better mm -hmm. that regard? I know you've said a couple of things, you know, in the previous question. So this is a special question for this. Yeah, I'm, I'm even glad you're asking it separately because I don't need to touch on it um, in the yeah, yeah, in part. But first things first is training, to be honest, training. Um, many schools train, have teacher training at the beginning of the year, sometimes at the beginning of each term. But the question is how many of them train in terms of dealing with children with learning difficulties? You don't even need to go as far as saying children with special needs. Let's just say training to teach children with, to, to engage or encourage learning difficulties. And then you can make it broader and say children with special needs. Training is the first step. Training is the first step. Then, um, after putting, because the training will also help you know um, what to put in place. Except about ramps. Not every school successfully put ramps in there. I mean, aside some, you know, some schools actually rent their spaces, so they might not be able to succeed. But then they might say, okay, if we have this child, if we don't have so many children, we can make sure that all the children with them, let's say, with mobility issues, will stay in classrooms downstairs. So that means that for even when they are, let's say, they started in primary one, by the time primary three, they are supposed to be upstairs. One primary three class will come to, have to come downstairs. Yeah. Uh, but that might be an extreme. So that's one way to show that just really, really mean business. Um, to employing um, professionals is the next step. That is a bit dicey in Nigeria. That's why training will still be part of it. Why is it dicey? Um, there are not so many schools that train special education professionals. I mean, special education teachers. There are not so many. I know of UI. And you need just, and I think you learn at the, then of course it's um, or your College of Education again. And even all the information they have is not enough to help you in your school. So they will still need to require something of specific training, specialized training to be able to help you in your school. But at least employing them because they have an overview of knowledge that your regular general ed teachers do not have. You might, I mean, I didn't do special education in university. But I, after having my education degree, I have done training in teaching during special needs. So that's another thing to explore, where you employ people that have education background or psychology background, and then they train to teach your, this child with special needs in your children with special needs in your setting. Now, note that not every child with special needs, not every child with special needs would require some form of special educator coming to check on them, but at least if they are on the if if, they, if their needs and their strengths are well spelled out by the professional, it kind of helps you as a teacher to plan for them to say, okay, this child doesn't need a special teacher coming to check on the child or having a pull-out session or having a facilitator coming coming to this class. But at least we have a record of this child's strengths, this child's needs, and then I can inculcate that in my own lesson. Mm -hmm. So you see training, do you, so how do you, you can only do that by training. I, I think that, let me, at this point, let me mention the things I believe teachers should be trained in to effectively 
include children with special needs in their classes. Number one is just basic overview of what special needs means. Okay. Secondly, how to differentiate instructions and assessments for the child, how to monitor progress, how to monitor progress. And then many children with special needs will require something called an individualized education plan. What that means is that when there's a general curriculum that all children are using, we can narrow it down for this child. So everybody is learning how to um, write, um, learning creative writing, and this creative writing, they'll be learning how to um, write fables or write, um, write short stories, for example. In this child's IP, we'll be a bit more specific to say, we'll be able to include like two or three characters, two, two um, my mystic or mysterious characters in a short fable, you know, because of course this is because we know that this child is able to do that, or this child has learned certain skills that we can build on to be able to create that. Sometimes the child may not be able to create their own stories, but we can say, oh, this child can retell a fable. That's what we would focus on for this child in his own IEP. So um, IEP can be a bit more, um, we'll be building, being able to write handwriting skills, or we are teaching, these are able to write two letter words, I mean, three two letter words, or include five, letter, five two letter words in their sentences or something. So that's an that's education plan. It's a bit more broad than that, but then they will learn that in training. So if they're able to differentiate instruction and assessment, write, create a plan for that child, include that child in their lesson plan, then we'll have more success stories in school, you know? Um, and yes, we cannot take the case of fact that a child might require therapy. The school doesn't provide that therapy, but the school should be able to allow, I mean, work in partnership with the parents to ensure that that child is getting the help, the ex external help that they require. So yeah, so training, 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 it is honestly training, being deliberate to learn, being deliberate to plan effectively for inclusion. Um, and there's this thing that they also learn in training, which is um, it's called something like therapy, inclusive therapy, sort of where in your classroom, you kind of have a plan. So you, this child would require exercises for their fingers because they have four fine motor skills, which means that they cannot use their fingers effectively. How do you ensure that in your class that child is getting that um, what they call a sensory diet, building no building the muscles of fingers? So it's included, and all of this you learn in training. Well, wow, you're right. Like you, we have to, we have to, we have to train train teachers to actually be able to handle or take care of children with special needs. And you made some very fascinating and interesting point and about schools having the right network, like schools should be able to connect a parent to a therapist that could help their child in need because they are that primary infrastructure to provide learning and aid to the children. And yeah. your, your answer for the societal aspect of it and for the educational aspect of it is very is encapsulating like it captures a whole lot of ideas so i hope anybody that reads the anybody that listens to this podcast and they're in a position to do something either they own a school or they're in government they can implement a policy 
or they're trying to do something as private citizens, they should always remember that we have, as part of us, those that have special needs and being able to cater for them helps to drive the whole humanity forward. So yeah, exactly. I, I know if we keep going, we'll be on this conversation for a long time because you have, you have a whole lot of experience, like a wealth of experience I'd like to explore more. So what we'll do is we'll end this here, then we'll, we'll try to, when you have time, maybe somewhere not so far in the, in the future, we'll come again sure. and, and cover some of the grounds we haven't covered in this one. No problem. I will gladly do that. I, I look forward to that. Thank you, Adela, for your time. It was lovely having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. I'm <laughs> glad to have been part of your podcast. Depends. And the great work that you're doing. Sure. No, I right. thank you.